Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. We're so excited today. This is our third episode of the Female Film Critics Speak Out panel that we have been doing since we started on this quarantine craziness. And I am so excited today. I have very special guests with us, two of the most acclaimed female film critics that I know. Uh, and I'm joined by Crystal Lemire. Uh, and Mara Reinstein is here, and I'm so grateful that you uh, decided to come and talk with us today about your experiences, and, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thanks, Rachel. Yes. Thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is, I mean, people, I interview like lots of actors and things like that in the Hallmark world, but this is like what I get excited about. This is what I'm <laughs> like, ah! So... <laughs> So this is very exciting. Uh, so why don't you both introduce yourselves and tell us how you became a film critic. Why don't you start, Christy? So I've been a film critic for over 20 years now. In March Amazing. of 99, I started. You were a tiny baby toddling around back then, Rachel. <laughs> I was 18. Yep. I'm not that. I'm not that. <laughs> So um, I was working in the Dallas Bureau of the Associated Press, and I, I should go back before that even. Like, growing up, I loved movies. I saw everything. My mother loved Fellini, and my father loved, like, John Wayne and Humphrey Bogart and all the classic musicals. So growing up, I had this fantastic film education between the two of them. But I was a serious journalist. Like, I have a hard news background. I have been a police reporter. I've covered shootings and floods and murder trials. And, and uh, I was working for the Associated Press in Dallas. And when you work for the AP, you kind of do a little bit of everything. And you do overnight shifts and you do Saturday broadcast shifts. And so one Saturday I was working and one of the member newspapers in Texas called in looking for a very specific film review. And we didn't have it. And I went back and looked through some of the archives and realized we weren't reviewing everything. Like there was no film critic, there were people who had other gigs who did this on the side. So like one of the science writers, the book critic, um, one of the national writers, and they would just do it here and there. So I pestered the arts editor in New York, a brilliant and sophisticated and intelligent woman named Dolores Barkley. And she gave me a shot. I emailed her. I said, look, I'm in the Dallas Bureau. I am doing general assignment stuff and some entertainment stuff. I see everything. I think my, my voice would be a good fit for this. I see you're not reviewing everything. Can I help you out from here? And she gave me a shot and she didn't have to do that. And yeah. it would not shake out this way today at all. And I'm eternally grateful to her because she put me on the path for what will become my career. Um, I have a lot of friends who knew early on that they wanted to be film critics and you know, maybe they, or they wanted to work in film. They studied screenwriting at USC or whatever. Um, that is not at all what I thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a White House correspondent when I was a kid. And like, thank God I didn't end up doing that. <laughs> Can you imagine? The yeah. worst, Wor worse than Adam Sandler movies is yeah. the crappy Netflix ones, not the good ones. I feel like they have become an Adam Sandler movie lately. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I, I feel really fortunate. And then I went to, to New York for several years and I covered entertainment and covered film. And in 2004, I pestered the person who was my editor then. And I said, hey, oh, sorry. what happened? Sorry. Can you hear that loud noise? No. What you was your loud hear noise? It? No. No. Oh, I'm so sorry I interrupted you. I'm in the back and like the 
thing just went off. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. That's We're okay. Good. We're good. Anyway, I will wrap up. But um, no. I, I pestered the person who was my editor in 2004, a gentleman named Jesse Washington, who is also brilliant, who had vision and was an awesome editor, a great guy to work with. He's now at the Undefeated. And I said, there's no full-time film critic. Everybody else has a full-time film critic. I want to be the AP's full-time film critic. And so they created that job. And wow. I did that for like nine years, 10 years, and I left in 2013. And we can get to later on down the road yeah. why I quit. But um, I, I pestered the right people, and they were kind and open-minded enough to let me you know, have a try, have a, have a chance at it, and I'm eternally grateful to them. Yeah. That is amazing. You're a hustler. I love it. <laughs> I'm That's not anymore. Great. When I was young and hungry, I was. <laughs> now I'm about to turn 48. Now I'm like, oh, I have to shower. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all become optional in the world of quarantine, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, very good. Uh, so, Mark, what about you? How did you end up uh, becoming a film critic? Uh, well, first of all, I'm so sorry for interrupting your story, Christine. I'm, I'm okay. in my- I'm in my parents' backyard in Michigan. This oh is the glamorous life of a film critic. And mm-hmm. I'm staying here for another month. I live in New York normally. And like, I'm in their backyard and some loud noise just went, Krrr! so <laughs> I can't be responsible for any noises going on in this backyard. Anyway, mm-hmm. how, That's did all right. I, how did I, I mean, I guess it does start with my parents. Let's so speaking of them. Um, yeah, I, I like Christy. I grew up watching movies that were wildly inappropriate for kids my age um, that I didn't realize it. Um, I saw, I mean, I saw movies like the right stuff in the theater when I was a child. Like I wasn't even really sure what I was watching. I saw Tootsie in the theater. I saw Chariots of Fire in the theater. Just my dad just sort of, I have a twin. My dad didn't know what to do with us. So my mom was working. So he just like, plopped us down into these rated R movies and hoped that we would be quiet. And I really loved what I was watching. So yeah, I was a movie kid as well. I was a um, teen movie critic for the Detroit News. I grew up in Detroit. I was a teen critic for the Detroit News in the early 1990s. Um, I was really into 90210 at the time. And I reviewed a Luke Perry movie and I won, there was a contest and I reviewed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, and I won, won the contest and I got to review movies every week. It was the coolest job ever. I always joke that I peaked when I was 17. Um, I wound up work pursuing magazines pretty straightforward. I worked at Teen People for a few years, and I was recruited at Us Weekly in 2002. I did a lot of writing about Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt at Us Weekly. I was really bored. I I think like the low point was writing about Octomom. I don't know if you guys remember the woman. Yes! You, like, Nadia Suleiman! <laughs> Where is she now? What happened to Nadia? Where is Nadia? Someone get on that. Um, (laughs) I wrote a cover story on Octomom. And I was like, this is my low point. I'm like, (laughs) at least like Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt were actual stars. But this woman, she just gave birth to a bunch of people. Like, I didn't understand why. Like, I was having like some sort of existential, what am I doing with my life crisis. And at that moment, the film critic job at Us Weekly had opened up. Uh, they wouldn't just hand it to me. I had to try out like everybody else. Um, I tried out with a lot of really esteemed critics. I had to do some sample reviews. And 
Jan Wenner, who obviously is like this legend in the industry. He created Rolling Stone. He had owned Us Weekly at the time. He was really into movie reviews. He had hired Peter Travers, of course, for Rolling Stone. He wanted to say on who would be the movie critic. And he wrote like a memo to the editor in chief saying like, just give it to Mara. She's the best one. Um, so I really, even though I actually never had a conversation with Jan in my 15 years at Us Weekly, I am really indebted to him for picking me as the movie critic. So that was in 2011. And so it's been off and on for about 10 years at Us. That's great. I, I love that. I mean, I'm kind of jealous in a way because m- my parents, they, uh, they are not like media people hardly at all. My mom loves to read. Uh, but, and my dad likes to watch sports, but they're, they're not people that are into, into like movies or, or anything like that, uh, really at all. And we had a long time where we didn't even have television growing up and, and, uh, there just wasn't them. But the thing that my parents did do that really helped me kind of on this, on this path is that my mom hated just mindlessly consuming anything. She wanted you, if you've read a, read a book, she wanted to talk about it. What did you like about it? Why did you like it? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you watched something, what did you like about it? What was good about it? And, uh, and so she encouraged that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, critical analysis of what we were doing. And, uh, and that was something that I thought that every family did. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> until I got, <laughs> I got older that I realized that <clears throat> I went to see uh, the film um, La Chocolat with... Uh, Johnny Depp. Chocolat? Uh, yeah, Chocolat. And uh, I didn't really care for it. And there were certain things and, I, and I'm all just, I'm with my friends and I'm all analyzing it and talking about, oh, I didn't really like that theme. I didn't really like how they did that. And, uh, and they were all just like, Rachel, we just want to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and I, it hadn't really occurred to me that not all families dissect and analyze and, you know, all that the way that my family did. Uh, and, uh, and so that part of it, I'm really grateful for that they, they inspired that kind of love of critical analysis instead of being threatened by critical analysis, which I feel like a lot of people, uh, kind of are, and they don't, they're, they don't want to be a part of that kind of discussion, which to me, that discussion excites me. And I think I it's part it. of the point is as much of the point of art, right? You don't just consume it. You have to let it marinate with you for a bit. Um, I, my son is 10, almost 11, and has gone with me to movies from his earliest days from before he could even remember. And one of my favorite things about taking him with me is having that conversation in the car yeah. afterwards. And so like when they showed 2001, like on the 40th anniversary of 2001, they were showing it here at the Arclight. And my husband and I took him to like a 9.30 a.m. showing on a Sunday. We're like, you're going to go see this in the theater with us. And someday you're going to realize... Your parents were cool. This matters. <laughs> um, but we had a really great conversation in the car on the way home. And like, I took him to see Dunkirk, you know? And, yeah. and one of my favorite things is taking him to movies that aren't just kid movies and seeing things through his eyes. And he asks good questions and forces me to maybe fine tune what I think about some things. So yeah. I, I appreciate that your parents did that with you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's really good. And you get that perspectives that sometimes you wouldn't even you would never have thought of otherwise if you didn't have uh that fresh perspective the non-jaded perspective that that uh, kids can provide and uh, i don't know that was just something that was really important to my 
to my mom in particular. And, uh, and we would just in the kitchen, we would just be talking about whatever was going on. And, and uh, so I'm grateful for that. And I, I want to know from each of you, what do you think that in particular uh, female voices add to the cri- film criticism world into this discussion? Why do you think it's important to have female voices? What do you think, Christy? We make up half the population. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for starters. <laughs> um, it just, of course it matters. It matters to have female voices in everything. I mean, shit, mm. Kamala Harris is, you know, the VP pick for Biden. That matters a huge deal. Um, I, and I found myself as a woman for a long time who wrote about film and then becoming a mom, I was really afraid that, um, that becoming a mom would, would make me go soft. It would make me go easy on films and make me emotional about things in a way that hadn't crept in previously. And I actually like the person that I am now looking at things through that prism differently and maybe more emotionally and maybe making myself more emotionally engaged with a film in a way that perhaps I wasn't when I was younger and trying to be tough and, and trying to have swagger. I don't know. Um, I think there's, there's a, a wisdom that comes with, with age when you are a, a woman that maybe you're more open to sharing that with the world perhaps than a man. Because of course, this is a giant blanket generalization that I am making, but that's my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Mara? Yeah, I mean, I obviously agree everything with Chris, that Chrissy just said. I think you, you find when you see enough movies, not just as a consumer, but as a critic, you begin to really realize that so many movies, the tide is changing a little bit now, are made by men and for men. A lot of them aren't really for someone like us. It's just, if we happen to like it, that's a benefit. But I think what's nice when a female movie critic uh, comes to the table and sees things from a female perspective. I mean, you just so many movies that even have a female in the lead. It's so obvious that it was written by a man. Like it, it just you could just tell like the way that the female characters are always like drinking beer and watching the game and like they still call their father daddy. You know, like they're good girl. They're like bad girls, but good girls. Like they're the object of affection and. They're all sort of written like it's some variation of that Mary character and something about Mary, like that dream mm. girl. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nice when a female, you know, sees that it can call it out, being like, this is not really how it is. And this is what I liked about it. And this is what I didn't like about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I, I think that it's, it's a valuable perspective, both in looking at uh, films that are viewed as, stereotypically feminine i mean i'm working the in the hallmark world so i i i know about that uh but then also also stereotypically masculine and everything in between that you have a perspective that's unique and i i think that it's something that uh that helps add to the discussion uh that if we all if we're only getting one perspective then i think then we're only going to get one kinds of kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you find that your opinions have, you mentioned this a little bit, Christy, in years, in you, when you were talking that, do you find that your opinions change as you get older and do people allow you to change? Uh, <laughs> that, or do people hold you to, Oh, well you said that uh, 20 years ago in your review of whatever. Uh, and you know now you're a different person in, in a lot of ways. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Mar? 
Oh God. Yeah. It's funny. So I write with the TV on, um, and usually I write with the movies on because there's no like loud commercials. And usually I've seen the movie before and it's just sort of like audio video wallpaper for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll have like a movie channel on and it'll be a movie I've seen. And sometimes like, God, I, this was just did not hold up well, or why, (laughs) why was I so hard on this movie? So Yeah, I think it's definitely, of course, you're going to ask me for an example. Of course, I can't think of one off the top of my head, (laughs) but um, it happens all the time. I mean, I definitely think also, probably doesn't answer your question. Chris, do you probably get this too? At the end of the year, we get so many, we get like this influx of movies, right? Between (laughs) these Oscar movies at the end of the year, festivals that we're sort of programmed to like. And they're because they're prestigious enough, they you know, we give, we probably overpraise them and put them in the top 10, especially if they're at festivals. And then sort of in the cold light of day, six <laughs> months later, just like, you know, maybe the Irishman really wasn't Scorsese's best movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I prefer like, I, and even so, like a remake of, um, you know, the female Ghostbusters or the Lion King, if it's on an airplane next to the original, it's all lined up on the screen. Like, you're always going to go for the original. Like, no one yeah. likes the remake anyway. It's just sort of like things, ch- your opinion in the moment will definitely is, it definitely can change in time. I mean, I don't really feel like I've had some blowback by that, except for the die hard fans who will call me out on something shouldn't say even their fans, but diehard people who read it and will be like, well, you liked Wonder Woman. Now you don't like this. How dare you? What, what went wrong? Um, but for the most part, that's yeah. what it is. What do you think about this, Christy? It's strange being held to such a, a bizarrely rigid standard, right? Like yeah. you said such and such about the Hangover 2. <laughs> but yeah. then you gave Hangover 3 like point five of a number higher what does that mean and so a the fact that anybody cares is bizarre to me um but yeah i mean films do not exist in a vacuum and neither do we so of course our opinion of them over time is going to change and the opinion the collective critical opinion of films is going to change over time i mean a movie like the big lebowski you know nobody got it when it first came out and now it's a massive cult hit and, you know, when I was pregnant, I went to Lebowski Fest. I mean, I, I can, we quote, it's a movie we quote in this house daily in some form. So, and there are a lot of movies like that. Um, as for me, as for one that I got it totally wrong, and maybe I was just in a bad mood that day, maybe I just didn't get it, was Pootie Tang. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pootie Tang is a movie I saw in a screening room in New York, and it was like one other person in, it was like the Sony screening room and me. And uh, I did not get it. And that's one of those movies that just came on cable. Like, you, know, you just turn on the TV, flipping channels. There's Pootie Tang again. And I found myself laughing my ass off yeah. to such an extent that I actually wrote a thing saying, Dear Chris Rock, <laughs> I, I, wrote, I still work for the AP. I wrote a whole, Dear Chris Rock, I got this wrong and I'm so sorry. I've gone back and revisited Pootie Tang and I get it. I get it now. I get what you were going for. So, um, yeah, I think what mood you're in when you see something, there's also a phenomenon that occurs at Sundance, as Mara was kind of beginning to allude to, where things seem, like, amazing at that altitude, and especially with, like, Twitter in the last few years, there was, like, this mad scramble to get onto Twitter first and come out with, like, the first hot take on something, and then that snowballs and creates a buzz around something, 
and then it gets down to ground level to you know earth level and uh people see it and go yeah that was good sure (laughs) much as anything where right you're in the i always blame like the altitude and the oxygen and something's affecting your brain but it is there's like this weird new phenomenon christy now with Twitter, which was was which was not around when we both started out, nope. in the sense that it is a race to tweet, and it's like the, the like you the credits are not even finished yet. <laughs> the cast is not even on the stage for Q and A, and you see the, these little these iPhones glowing in the dark, right, where everyone is tweeting like, "This was great! Oh my God, Oscar!" You just like throw the word Oscar out, you know? It's like yeah. A bus- it's like it's january calm down you can wait (laughs) go to the bathroom you know talk to a person yeah Yeah, i know it is unbelievable it is unbelievable (laughs) so what's that about do you think like what why is there this drive to be first and like why is there this need to create fomo and others because that's real too yeah yeah i mean i think part of it is is like monetary the the earlier you earlier you're able to produce that content the 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 better it's going to do for you and so you get that uh that that uh i don't know that that definitely inspires you i mean especially if you're dealing with like a trailer reaction or something like that Mm -hmm. as a youtuber you got to get that out right away if you aren't in the first hour then you might not as well even do it I mean, that's it's... sad. That's no way to live. No, <laughs> I know. I mean, that's why I enjoy podcasting so much more than I enjoy uh, doing new reviews uh, because YouTube is by far the most toxic of any social media, in my opinion, or any kind of platform uh, for new reviews. Uh, but also, uh, it's just such a such a race, man, trying to get those new reviews up as soon as you possibly can. I mean, especially now with streaming, you gotta you gotta stay up, and if it's it starts at two a.m., you gotta get your your review of you know all of Mandalorian season two within the first you know like hour or whatever. <laughs> People are gonna be crazy. And baby Yoda memes, you can't just write about something; you gotta make it catchy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I am I'm very happy to be freelancing now. I worked for the Associated Press for like 15 years and I quit yeah. in 2013. And my job was changing to focus more on breaking news. And like they assigned us celebrities that we had to break news on. Um, but in 2013, I mean, Twitter was not what it is now. Instagram didn't really exist as, like it does now. There weren't as many places to get out there first. And the AP was trying to compete and trying to stay viable in a world where other people were more nimble. And so um, rather than writing like one story out of a film festival, you'd have to file every hour or whatever. So I definitely don't miss any of that. that I like hard. Christy, I've never seen you at a film festival, I don't think. Do you not go to them anymore? So um, when I was at the AP for a long time, Dave Germain went to Sundance in Toronto and Cannes. I used to go to South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I was at the AP in New York, I always did the New York Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. So, but I've never been to Sundance. Yeah. Oh. I would stay in LA and mind the fool. Well, next time, if, if they ever have it again, which who knows if they're, we'll ever have it again. they're, they're doing a seven day Sundance, right? Yeah. Instead of 11. Uh, they, I guess, I, I don't I was, know. If, I was COVID in your state. It's, it's been 
we've been one of the better states uh, as far as um, all the different statistics. And so we actually have theaters mostly open here, amazingly enough. You're going to get um, tenant before we are. Yes, I think yes, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we've been pretty good uh, here in Utah. Uh, but, uh, but Sundance is, is a whole nother level as far as come, you know, whether we'll be comfortable you know, bring in the whole world. I mean, I usually get sick at Sundance anyway, <laughs> let alone, you know, a time of, in, with a major virus. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, Sundance, it's, uh, it's an experience. But, uh, but uh, I relate to what you're saying, Christy, about kind of going back to a movie. I recently had that with, uh, I actually, I watched Beautiful Mind, Mm-hmm. which I loved, you know, when it first came out and it's not like a terrible movie. I didn't hate it, but there were definitely parts of it that did not hold up at all. The whole idea that like, if he could just gather his, his, uh, self-control, if he could just get, if he could just be strong enough, he could defeat this mental illness by himself without the medicine and that the medicine is evil and all of that kind of just this, this whole, this whole thing was very problematic as somebody now who's had panic attacks in my life had things that now i'm just like mm. and uh and i wouldn't have known that in my teens when the movie came out or whatever how old i was well, the oscar for best picture it wasn't just yeah you liked it it was one of those again like eat yeah. your vegetable movies and it had Ooh. ron howard and russell crowe and jennifer Connelly and everything going for it and now years later yeah no one really talks about it no. It's definitely not Ron Howard's best movie, and that's what he no. won the Oscar for for best director. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing that makes film festivals can be tricky is that when you have the the creators right there watching it with you, you have to really put on your objective cap because it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. you hear these people and saying they've spent years of their life making this product, and you've just watched it, and you're like, ugh. That wasn't the best. Check me at all. I have like a heart of stone. Like I, uh, I watched a movie called Abe uh, at Sundance in in last year, and I, it it wasn't my favorite. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And the guy gets up and says, "I've been working on this movie for thirteen years of my life." And I was just like, "Oh, sorry, I feel bad." Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but sometimes I specifically don't stay for the Q and A because just because I don't want it to be influenced in that way, which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer. But I don't know. And I also usually well, also useless those Q and As. So yeah, <laughs> for the most part they can be kind of fun. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we don't get the. Uh, I usually go to the Salt Lake Sundance, not the Park City Sundance. Uh-huh. So we don't get the like stars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it, it can be it can be hard because. It just feels so close, and uh, you have to really try to to be objective, if you if, as as much as possible, at least. Uh, but people are when, when people don't understand, like when I'm giving my review, it's my experience in all different ways, and it's it's a uh, I'm not trying to to tell you what a different audience will like, or a different person will like, or what you will like. I'm just purely saying what I would like. And I, I thought I found that so entertaining and so baffling. And um, this might get into a topic that you yeah. want to discuss as far as like the reaction we have gotten to reviews. Yeah. I'm always so boggled when like a review I write 
maybe does not validate a person's expectations of what they want the review to say, right? right. Like, I'll talk about the one that was my big thing, which was The Dark Knight Rises, which is yeah. what I got death threats for. This is my death threat movie. Mara has her own death threat movie. That's right. Um, I do. We're a club. <laughs> congrats. Welcome. Yeah. So um, I just, I, I'll never understand, like, okay, so I didn't like it. You might like it. You'll probably see it, whether or not I like it. What difference does my experience have for you on the Tuesday before it opens? It will, you're still going to go. You probably yeah. get your ticket already. Why do you care what I think? Like, why does that number on Rotten Tomatoes matter so much to whether people are going to enjoy it? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mara had, has done a article. This is where I first learned of you in uh, the Huffington Post called I Got Death Threats for Writing a Bad Review of Aquaman. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience and what happened? Well, uh, yeah, it probably is not a coincidence that Aquaman and Dark Knight Rises are both DC movies. <laughs> and those comic book fans, uh, they're, how do I put this lightly? I guess like, they're very, they put, you know, the, they're not fans, they're fanatics. And mm -hmm. that's where you draw the line in, in the difference. And they felt very strongly that I was wrong about Aquaman. And I saw it and I, I didn't like it. I, I got what it was trying to do, but I thought it was just a silly movie. With, oh, it was overly CGI'd. Jason Momoa was fine, I guess. He doesn't like do it for me. And Amber Heard was just terrible in it. It's it just like, to this day, I've never seen a minute of it since that first screening. I really just generally did not care for it at all. And I wrote it. I gave it a bad review. I gave it a green splat. I thought nothing of it. It was a December release. I moved on to the next movie. You know, this is our busy time. And I'm at a screening. And I see that my phone is just constantly lighting up in my purse. And, like, I hope, like, no, everyone's okay in my family. Like, <sighs> happening? And I noticed, I finally, like, I peek in the purse and, um... It's just, I'm getting like a thousand Instagram notifications. Like what Instagram? I'm barely on Instagram. Uh -huh. like, who possibly could be reaching out to me on Instagram? And it was these, the DC fans coming at me, give, like saying these horrible, I mean, not just you suck as a reviewer. I mean, that I'm used to, but yeah. <laughs> he really went for the jugular about me being Jewish and about me being male. Uh and about just you name it the way i look you name it they like i mean to the point where it's like your family will die this is not a joke it, it wasn't just me with my family um you know why like your people should have burned in the holocaust your family i mean it was just wow. you couldn't believe it it was shocking i actually got up and left the screening because i was just like so shook by I, you know, I shouldn't have even like looked at the phone, but I just like walked out and was like, I had to take a breath and it did not stop for days and days and days where I would wake up to all these new messages on Facebook and Twitter, every social media platform. I begged Instagram to do something about it. I knew someone personally on Instagram who was useless and I will say a former coworker, sorry, but it's true. And then like Instagram itself was like, oh, they're not violating community policy. Like, how is this not violating community policy? It was just such an ugly 
ugly chapter of my career. And yeah, I wound up writing. I almost didn't want to write about it because I didn't want them to think that it affected me as much as it did. I wanted them to think that it rolled off my back and I didn't give a shit, but I did give a shit. Like yeah. it, was, it was disgusting. So I figured like I might as well monetize all the hate out that too. <laughs> and, and also just sort of give awareness to what female critics really are going through. What you know, Christie's had to go through what so many others have to go through when they review movies that, frankly, males do not get. They never go personal for males. They only go personal for females. Yeah, and I was, I, I'm so grateful that you did because it was so comforting for me to read because I had almost the same experience with Shazam. I posted my Shazam review. Also DC. Yeah. Coincidence. <laughs> and I had given it a, a four out of 10. So, and I, I, th- I felt like the movie didn't balance tone very well, that there'd be a really violent scene. And then right after that, there'd be a really silly scene and it didn't flow very well to me. And I felt like the, uh, the, I, I didn't feel a sense of continuity between the, the adult Shazam and the, and the boy to me it was there was a disconnect and so i didn't end up i didn't give it a a a fresh review and it went insane and particularly there was a facebook group called f marvel tards that told their i got it because they teamed me they told their people to go after me and make sure that i never reviewed another movie uh on rotten tomatoes ever again and uh so that's when i got a um a threat in that I had to turn over to the FBI saying my next movie shooting, I mean, my next movie screening, there would be a mass shooting and, uh, and he would bring an A20, A47, whatever. I don't know. AK47. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they would uh, kill everybody and kill my family. And, wow. and it, it was That's startling. That's awful. It was, it so was shocking. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that, I mean, I'd been doing blog, I'd been a blogger and a YouTuber and a podcaster for practically a decade. So I thought I had pretty thick skin and, uh, and it, it threw me. It really did. And I mean, I'm grateful because you definitely do realize who your real support is, your real friends are in a situation like that. But it was just so comforting to read your article and be like, somebody else gets it. Someone else understands. And that's why I wanted to do this whole series because uh, there's there's something to the experience that I think you can't explain unless you've been through it. You can't yeah. understand. It, uh, is. it is intense. It's treated horribly, horribly. It's yeah. not, not right. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll tell you mine real fast if you want to hear yeah, my Yeah, please. Thing. So I, The Dark Knight Rises, 2013, 2012? 12, I think. Yeah. So... Um, it was at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then the first negative review came from somebody in New Jersey. I can't recall who, but it was a man. And he got shit for it. And then my review came out and I gave it like two out of four stars. It was mixed negative, whatever. Yeah. I love Christopher Nolan. I love The Dark Knight. So this seemed like a step down, in my opinion, whatever. Um, and poor Tom Hardy, why do they keep covering up his beautiful face? <laughs> why do they keep doing this to him? So um, my review goes out and I start getting like hammered on Twitter and people describing the ways they want to see me die 
and um, saying, you know, things about my husband and my, my kid, like, oh, you know, I wish your kid hadn't been born. I wish he'd been born with birth defects, you know, things like um, you must not be satisfying your husband. I mean, you know, and before that, I had gotten, you know, just run-of-the-mill sexist stuff like, bitch, get back in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. You know, that was, that was nothing compared to this. To such an extent that the AP, like, security took over and wanted to keep an eye on me. And I'm the reason that you can no longer comment on individual reviews on Rotten Tomatoes because I have like hundreds and hundreds of comments. You know, there used to be like a number at the bottom of a person's uh, review because you used to be able to comment on a specific review. Uh, now, now you can comment on the whole page, I think, at the bottom. Yeah, of the page. Yeah. So when, when Matt Atchity was still running Rotten Tomatoes, he instituted that change based on what he saw I was enduring. I'm like, I didn't even want to begin to wade through the hundreds of comments on Rotten Tomatoes. I did not, but just like on Twitter. And again, this is like early Twitter. This is like 2012. I hadn't been around for that long at that point. Um, so that was kind of fun. And, you know, you, you think you, you wanted to roll up your back, as you were saying, Mara, you want to like not take it personally because it's so insane, you guys. The thing that inspires people to say these things from behind their computer screens through the anonymity of the ether. Like you want to think, oh, I can blow this off. But the cumulative effect of it, I think you don't realize it and, and for after a little while. So that following Friday, when I went into the studio to go tape what was then, what the flick with Alonzo and Matt, I saw them and I just started crying. And like, I, I'm like, why am I, why am I reacting this way? But like, it, it really truly does seep in, in a, a visceral kind of subconscious level yes. to receive that kind of barrage of hate, even though you know it's not based on anything logical and it's not really personal, it just sucks. Yeah. Barrage of hate is probably the most eloquent and apt <laughs> way of putting it, because that's exactly what it's the barrage. It's not even the hate, it's the barrage. Yeah. And what yeah. did they, what, why did they get off on that? Like, what did they gain from that? Like, let's say, Rachel, that you really, truly never wrote another review again, right? Let's say that they scared you off the internet, right. scared you off Rotten Tomatoes. What would they gain by that? Like, what do they want? I, I, I think that they, they think that, that somehow they'll convince people to, to come over to their side or something. I don't know what they think. They're just angry and it's become this kind of, uh, I feel I feel like we've kind of become to these giant corporations what people used to feel with sports or do feel with sports. You know, that's it's my team, it's my uh, it's my city. Uh, you can't criticize Disney, a giant corporation that exists to make money. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't criticize them just like you can't criticize a sports team or a you know it's kind of a thing, which is crazy. And and I mean I actually want these things to be good. I actually want right. Star Wars movies to be good. Yeah. I actually want, and if I just say that I like it and I don't like it, then we're just going to keep getting more of the same things that aren't good. And so, I mean, I think a true, a true fan actually should say to their team when they're screwing up, Hey, play better, do better. You're not doing well enough. Like, and that's that's not a sign of of uh, of your true loyalty to your to your team, but that's how they take it. But then the and crazy extreme other side of that, Rachel, is like when Ryan Johnson made the Last Jedi, yeah. and there was a petition 
to get him to redo it, to get to like get a different director to come in and like redo The Last Jedi right. because they didn't like the way that he deviated from what they deemed as canon. Like, no, that's not how art works. Right. Sorry. You don't get a petition to but Those are the same the people who are, are trying to get so Zack Snyder can have his vision. Yes. Right? Uh, so they, they get the Snyder cut, which whatever, mm-hmm. they, fine, whatever. But, but <laughs> you, so you want one person to have their vision, but not another person to have their vision. Mm-hmm. You don't want Ryan to have his vision. It's so ridiculous. And also, what's scary is like the, the fear of a diversity of thought. Yeah. Right? Like, what, why is that so scary? Why does that threaten your own opinion? And why does that threaten your own experience? You're going to go see Aquaman, right? You're going to go see The Dark Knight Rises. You're probably going to enjoy it. And what I write should not in any way affect your experience. Right. I often get people who will respond to a, a review being like, well, I liked it. I'm not going to be like, well, you're good wrong. For you. yeah. Good for you. I'm glad you did it. Great. Well, I'm actively interested in that as well. Like, oh, cool. It was just kind of like what I did with my mom growing up. Like, let's talk about it. Let's have some critical analysis. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's just, it's frustrating. And what I, I really liked in your piece, Mari, you said uh, that, you said, I worry that reading volumes of hate mail is starting to get in my head and cause me to consider the potential angry male ramifications while I'm writing my reviews, thereby compromising my integrity. And that's definitely something that I have felt in, since, since the incident happened. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing uh, to – it's a thing I've grappled with and struggled with. And – uh, I've tried to maintain my uh, my integrity, as you put it, but I, I didn't review Birds of Prey because I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take another uh, experience like that again. Yeah, I thought review, I mean, I had a different situation with Birds of Prey because I had interviewed the cast for another magazine, so I had to take myself out of it. So I got a default. But I will say, I saw Joker at the Toronto Film Festival I did not like it. And I was very scared about giving it a bad review for mm-hmm. not just for, because of the DC blowback, because it had just won this big award at the Venice mm-hmm. film festival. And mm-hmm. I was worried that like my review wasn't going to be taken seriously by anyone being like, well, the critics loved it. People loved it. How can you not like it? This isn't your typical DC movie. It's art. It's Joaquin Phoenix. It's Bradley Cooper producing and De Niro and I mean, it, I had to do like, and it was late at night. I had to do like a little bit of the proverbial soul searching, mm-hmm. I guess, to really get the nerve up to write that negative review for Joker. And I stuck with it. And you know what? Again, like I, I'm, yes, Joaquin Phoenix did, a, did one of his better performances. I don't think it's his best performance. I could see why people loved it. But every time that movie is on HBO, I still have no desire to sit through it again. Nope. Yeah, I just don't. <laughs> Just did not, it just did not work for me. Well, you, then they won, though, right? I mean, I, I, Rachel, I appreciate that you, you felt the need of an emotional level to sit one out. I totally I get that. But I, I hope that in the, in the future you, you do find, you know, something inside you that says, my, my voice matters and I've got to write about this no matter what. Because mm-hmm. your voice does matter. And um, you can't let these assholes win. Yeah. I agree. Do <laughs> it. Right. How how do you, how, how how did you deal with that? How did you rebound after the experience with Dark Knight Rises? How were you able to kind of did you, uh, what was your sort of strategy 
don't know. It, it sucked for like a week. And I cried when I saw my friends. And then you just, I think overall, I view all social media like this, whether it's Twitter or whether like it's YouTube comments, which I try very hard to avoid. Um, you just can't believe any of it. You mm -hmm. can't believe the good and then assume that the bad is irrelevant. You can't believe any of it. So I can't look at people saying, oh, wow, Christy, you're a hot MILF. And I can't look and, and say, yeah, that's true, I am. And then, <laughs> and then say, oh, but the people who think I'm a dumb bitch, like, I have to ignore them. No, you got to ignore yeah. it all. And just, you know, every once in a while, there are thoughtful people out there who actually want to share ideas with you and connect with you in a substantive way. And that's nice. But for the most part, it just, you got to blow it all off. Yeah. Christy, I have a question for you, yes. not based on a fan's reaction, but based on just like industry in the sense that if you didn't like a movie and you see that it's at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, how do you feel about being like, if you're mixed on it, mm -hmm. do you like, are you instinctively being like, I'm going to give it the green splat and go against the grain? Or are mm -hmm. you a little bit apprehensive being like, well, maybe I'm being too yeah. harsh on it. Like there's a little bit of like, like uh, of an, uh, like the influence is seeping through your brain. Like, honestly, right. how do you, I, that happens to me sometimes. I think you gotta do what you gotta do, right? I think you gotta say what you want to say. And, and sometimes you're gonna find yourself in the minority and that's okay. And that's like almost exciting sometimes. And yeah. if, that, but that, if that's truly what you feel, then you're, you're doing your readers a disservice if you're kind to a film that you don't really like and vice uh -huh. versa. Uh-huh. And, but it's hard. It is hard when you have those mixed, just in general, it's hard uh, with being a Ron Chimaeus creator, critic, those films that you have mixed feelings about. Right. You're just right. Like, if you hate it, you hate it. But sometimes mm -hmm. you're on the fence, mm -hmm. right? You're on the fence. You're like, eh. yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> those two-star reviews are the hardest ones to write. Yeah. Where you feel yeah. iffy about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's what people don't realize. Like it, the difference between a four out of ten and a six out of ten is not very much. <laughs> By the way, I'm one of the few critics who liked who didn't. I shouldn't say like I didn't hate cats. So listen, <laughs> very much you to be a minority in essence. I didn't hate yeah. it. Like, why did you like cats? I want to hear why you liked cats. Okay, this is what I say, and I will stand by this statement. Were you fresh on it, Mara? was fresh on it. I was too. What I will say about cats. <laughs> Give me cats over the 11 Fast and Furious movie. Like, yeah. that is something that we've seen it over and over and over again. But cats was fascinating in its own bad way, where it was like a fascinating mess to watch. And it was always something interesting, weirdly interesting on the screen for me. So. Yeah. That's me I, not getting that. And I am a super easy sell when it comes to musicals. I <laughs> love musicals. <laughs> and so when everybody was like, oh, The Greatest Showman is the worst movie ever. I'm like, really? That's so fun. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, but, uh, but uh, real quick, before we go, I wanted to have, give you each a chance to share a review. We've talked about unpopular opinions, but to share a review that you're really proud of that you that you love that you feel like was really well written uh and i the one that i thought of uh was my review for wild rose from last year oh, I really good. such a great experience it's the kind of thing i i miss so much being in quarantine is i i would just go down to the art house theater on saturday on a saturday and i would just be there the whole day and watch movies the entire day and I miss that so much. <laughs> and 
I, I had never heard of Wild Rose. I knew nothing about it. It was just in between the two other movies that I was planning on seeing. And so I just went and saw it and I loved it. It was one of my favorites of the whole year. I just absolutely loved Jesse Buckley in the role. I loved the music. I loved Julie Walters. I just thought it was such a beautiful, lovely movie. And it was such a fun experience, not only for myself to find this hidden gem uh, and stumble upon it, but also to introduce my audience to something that I, I really loved that most of them had never heard of. So that was definitely one that was really special last year for me was Wild Rose. Uh, what about you, Chrissy? Um, I was going to say that's, that's one of the fun parts of the job, right? Is when you mm -hmm. see something really great and small and maybe potentially obscure that folks might not have heard of, like using your power for good. I love that yeah. part of the job. Um, Call Me By Your Name is a review that I, I guess I, I poured more of myself into it. Maybe I made myself a little more vulnerable in, in writing it. And I guess that shined through in, in the way I phrased things. I gave it four stars. It's my favorite movie of that year. Um, but it really, I've seen it a couple of times. And it really moved me both times. And I guess there's just something about, you know, the way I, I let that come out that touched people. And I've gotten more positive feedback on that than I have for anything else. So. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Mara? It's funny. Different movie, but same kind of review, same reaction. Also, Sundance movie. I'm going to go with my review for eighth grade. Um, again, that's a movie that I saw at Sundance. It gave it four stars. I, I was weeping at the end of eighth grade. Again, we could blame the oxygen, but it, it just really <laughs> affected me. I wanted to write a review that wasn't just a boilerplate why I liked, but why it spoke to someone like me who had an awful eighth grade adolescence. And it was a movie that I'm sure had no stars in it. And I really wanted to drive it home that even if you're not an eighth grade girl, you should go see it. Everyone can get something out of it. It wound up being my favorite movie of that year. So I, I really, uh, that's a re it was more of like a personal essay slash review, but um, uh, yeah, I'll go with that one. I think when you put something more personal of yourself into it, people, people respond. Right. They know. They can tell a difference. That's exactly right. In the heart in a way that you're not just like putting criticky phrasings out right. there. You're not just mm -hmm. like throwing adjectives at a wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that, Rachel, can great. I tell my Christie story before we go? Please, please. <laughs> this is a really good example, though, of like what you're trying to do with these podcasts. So... In 2017, after working at us for 15 years, I was laid off. There was a change in management. Um, a new company uh, took over and they laid off a bunch of senior staffers, myself included. I was really at a crossroads. It was the first time I did not like have a job in almost 20 years. And um, when I first got the job, my editor said to start reading Christie's and Claudia's reviews of USA Today because they were two examples of really uh female movie critics who really uh were so clear and concise and had such a strong writing voice always i had read them anyway but and after i got laid off i wound up reaching out to christy like mm -hmm. i i mean i you did not know me you said that you knew who i was i'm gonna pretend of course. To know, but i totally but, did of course whatever but i was so mm -hmm. honored that you would even take my call mm -hmm. and i just spoke to you like it was the summer of 2017 and you Based a lot of the stuff that we've talked today, you told me about just about working at the AP and just some general advice. And I think either you put me in touch with Claudia or Claudia put me in touch with you. 
but it was just so nice to have sort of that like female network to rely on who was so supportive when I was really down for the count. And what happened was that a few months later, Us Weekly hired me back um, just as the female, just as the film critic, uh, not in how, not, not in the office. And I'm still like a full-time freelancer, but it just, it really, uh, it, like I said, it really warmed my heart, I guess, for lack of better hallmark phrasing that <laughs> I, yeah, no, I just, like, I always, like, have such warm feelings for Christy for, for just, like, taking my call, and I, you know, it's not just someone who I follow on Twitter. I just, like, I just have so much respect for you, and thrilled to do this panel for, with you three years Aww. later. Oh, well, you're so sweet. I'm totally blushing. Um, thank you. And, and I'm so pleased that it worked out for you because it's, it's sort of a scary place to be, right? Like, you've, you've always yeah. had a job, and you got to yeah. leap off into the great unknown, and everyone's doing that and so how do you do it in your own way and like Rachel you found a great niche to do this in your own way this is your your lane that you have found and it's very specific to you and it's your voice and so you know it's, it's hard to, to to do that but you know we're all figuring out a way to do it yeah. that's exactly right you have to find your own niche and it, it it does work out but it's nice to have a support system one way or another for sure oh I yeah <laughs> Well, thank you so much to both of you. This was a real honor for me. It was really, I, I was so excited. You asked my, asked the other girls and the, the other co-hosts of, of Hallmarkies podcast. I was, I was fangirling it this morning uh, in the chat room because uh, it was just so exciting for me to talk to both of you. And I really, really appreciate you sharing your experiences. And hopefully by sharing our experiences, we can make all of our experiences better and help people to understand what it's like uh, for us and uh, and what an incredible opportunity it is to get to talk about film and uh, whether you're doing it full-time, part-time, uh, whether you're just blogging. We we need to hear your voices. We need to hear your thoughts. And, uh, and so I'm just really grateful uh, to have you both on. And uh, Chrissy, where can people find you and all your content these days? So um, I'm on Twitter at Christy Lemire. I co-host a podcast with Alonzo Duraldi and Matt Atchity and sometimes Ben Mankiewicz called Breakfast All Day. We are in all the podcast places. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I'm private because there's a lot of pictures of my kid. So probably Twitter. Twitter is the best place to find all that good stuff. Thank Great. you. This was Great. so fun, by the way. Thank you so much for asking. It was a total blast. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm Mar, where can I find you? Um, I launched a website after I got laid off. I still, it's still there. Um, and I remember telling Christy this, like, wow, you still have a website. Um, it's um, marmovies.com, um, marmovies.com. I also still write uh, for Us Weekly print and online, but really just the big movies I do for Us Weekly. Um, and Twitter is at Mara Reinstein and I won't. Yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Instagram, as the moral of the story is, I will not really go back on it. So you can stick to Twitter at, at Mara Reinstein. Okay. <laughs> oh, great. I'll have all that in the description section. Make sure you're following uh, both Mara and Christy. And this was really fun. I had a great time, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Join me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And you can find me over at the Hallmarkies Podcast. All the fun stuff we're doing over there. So please check it out. And uh, thanks so much again. And uh, let us know your thoughts in the comments section uh, or on Twitter. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And bye, everyone.